Alrighty, let's do it. Welcome to a super exciting episode, as promised previously in our Hilled Brothers episode. I have Sammy Cherrier on, but I have good news. Her husband, Pete, who I told you is the one who helped sponsor the gear that we're going to be taking out on the road, he is also going to be joining us, so it is guaranteed to get a little weird. <laughs> um, before we get started, I want to start on a little mini rant here unrelated to what this episode is going to be about. As you know, I am big on anti-hater. Um, and we have a little hater situation, and not on Generation 1 or even Gold Standard Livestock, for that matter. Um, our dear, dear friend and employee, Riley Box, as many of you know, I mention him every podcast. Um, he got into the goats. He's got just a small little goat herd. Very elite, though. Bought a lot of stuff from Miller's, other people around the country trying to be uh, very progressive, buying the best that he can afford. And he bought a really, really nice doe. Um, out of one of their more recent sales from Miller's. Uh, she's on her way back here. He's really jacked up about it. So he posts it on Facebook, and you see this all the time, right? He posts it, and he's like, I'm really excited. This doe's going to be a donor for us. And I get, you know, a lot of people feel like they need to have opinions about other people's donors, but um, she's definitely of that caliber. And we have the resources to do that here. We flush our sheep in the fall. We'll flush this goat in the fall. Um, so very much, you know, in the realm of possibility. And somebody, I won't say who, um, decides they're going to get on one of the message boards there where he had posted it and say, you know, just wait till that goat falls apart, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be looking more like a recip here in the near future. And I'm just like, what? You know, there's two kinds of people in this world, right? Like we see the craziest stuff, you know, out there on the interwebs. And you think it in your head, right? You're like, hell no. You know, which doesn't even apply in this case. And then there's the people that feel the need to type it. To those people listening who are a need to type it type of person, um, know that you don't need to, okay? Uh, you're... Like your mama said when you're a little child, or maybe she didn't, and that's why you've got issues, is if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Uh, Riley didn't need that opinion, and as this applies to Generation 1, he was discouraged, and he's like, should I pull this post down? Maybe she's not as good as I thought, and I said, no, 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 sir. Uh, that's the whole reason I have a podcast. It's to say, no, I don't care what some rando, irrelevant person thinks about your goat. You are proud of that goat. You, you and your family spent good money on that goat. You campaign that goat with pride into hell with our keyboard warriors. Okay. Um, and to all of the people out there who are like me and you sometimes think shit that you should not put out there in the world and you don't pat on our backs. Um, that's what being a good neighbor and a good friend is all about. So I apologize for my beginning rant, but um, let's encourage youth, even if they're a little bit misguided. Um, 
send them a message. And like I said, that wasn't even the case. This goat is badass, okay? But it's like, send them a message and say, hey, you know, I like that goat. You know, maybe consider these options when you go to breeding so we can help with whatever. You know, or maybe being that this was another goat breeder, instead of taking out their little side issues on a young child, they could have said, hey, I like that goat. I'm worried that this is going to happen. We've got this buck and we'd love to send you a straw of semen. You know, oh God, maybe that would be a mature response, you know, but shame on them. That's enough shaming them and, you know, virtual stoning here. We're going to let it go like Jesus would. So anyway, enough of my rant. We've got Sammy and Pete, Ledgerwood Gelby, Rafter C. Reds. Let's hit it. Welcome on, Sammy and Pete. Like I said, I'm so excited to have you guys on. You have been some of my closest friends, advisors, like everything for so long, and it's about time we got you on the podcast. But for those of you listening who don't know them, why don't we take a minute? Let's have you both introduce yourselves, uh, your program, kind of where things got started until where they are now. Why don't you kick things off for us, Sammy? Thanks, Cody. Really appreciate you having us on. Um, Ledgerwood Gelby started in uh, officially in 2005, but originally it started in 1993 as a 4-H project, like a lot of people's purebred herds start. Uh, my parents bought my older sister and I our first pair and started us in the Gelby business from there. Um, when I graduated high school, I had approximately 40 cows and chose to go to Washington State University and stay close to home and continue to grow my program. Um, through my college years, there was a lot of dispersal sales of Gelby herds, and I was trying to grow a herd, so I purchased from several Western programs that were going out of business and grew, grew to a, the size that we're at now. I've continued to grow pretty well every year and have somewhere around 150 registered Gelby cows at the, this point in time. We have a production sale. This is our eighth year that we've, we've done it that way and kind of continue to, to maintain our solid 50 bulls a year. Perfect. Um, I'm going to chime in there because something you guys should know about Sammy and her family is they're annoyingly humble. Okay, it's like, oh yeah, you know, we kind of got into this. She's literally the largest Gelby breeder in the West. She was named Gelby Breeder of the Year out of the whole entire nation. I don't remember what year that was. Was that like 18 or 16 or... Uh 16 and 16 Gelby breeder of the year out of the entire nation. One of the youngest, you know, producers out there just crushing it has won divisions back at the national Western stock show. Okay. So this like from four H to 150 cows, like little project she's talking about is like really badass at like a national scale and level for those of you listening. And it's all on their family's ranch. They're led, Ledgerwood ranches, um, which again, you ask her dad, you know, hey, do you raise cattle? And he'd be like, yeah, you know, we run some cows and a little bit of farmland, you know, and by that he means like a 13,000 acre ranch with like farming and more commercial cows than they can ever like count. So that's just to give a little bit more background. And Pete, equally as impressive, you give us your resume, Pete. So uh, Pete Carrier, I'm also known affectionately is Sammy's husband. I'm kind of the, uh, I'm basically the Robin to her Batman. I'm just kind of 
the comedic sidekick to my wife's endeavors here. But uh, I guess for those that don't know, there's a bit of an age difference. I'm about 11 years older than my wife. So I was born in the 70s, you know, the time of free love and really crappy haircuts and weird clothing. But uh, I actually grew up on just a little family farm in uh, Western Oregon, just outside of Portland, which is unfortunately a, an eyesore. And we can go down that rabbit hole another day. But uh, we grew up on 15 acres. I started showing skiers third grade. My dad and I got into some Angus cows a little later on just for something else to do. And I think at our height, we were 20 cows maybe. We owned 15 acres, leased another 25. Uh, I kind of took a different path than Sammy. Sammy's pretty much spent her whole life in, in production ag. I kind of took a, a wandering path. I got out of high school. I was clearly not ready for college, so I decided to join the Navy. I floated around the seven seas for four years, got out, tried college for a hot second, realized I was more into the social aspects of college than the academic part, so figured why waste my time. I wasn't going to go to class and learn anything anyway, so... I joined the workforce, and I tell a lot of people I'm a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. But the last 10 years before I moved up to Washington, I kind of managing some warehouses, got back into the cattle a little bit. In about 1999, uh, my friend Jane Wilhoyd introduced me to a gentleman named Merle Aiken. He's the one that got me into the Red Angus business. He's the one I credit for kind of rekindling my passion for the cattle and Merle will tell anybody that'll stand still that he's the reason that Sammy and I are married because he knew Sammy before I knew Sammy and he he had always promised her he'd find her a nice guy and find her a good husband so I'm not sure he really succeeded on the nice guy and great husband part but it's been a fun ride and I'm glad Sammy's kind of taking me along on this ride and I run about 25, 30 purebred Red Angus cows. We kind of got into the Red Angus. Honestly, I think it was Sammy's way of appeasing me and keeping me happy. So, But they kind of fill a niche. Gelby aren't necessarily known for calving ease, so we kind of thought the Red Angus would kind of fill that, that calving ease niche. And that's kind of where I'm at today is with my red, little Red Angus operation. Perfect. Well, I think that um, something Pete's also leaving out is he also doesn't have time to run like 150 head of Red Angus because he's like a political figure out west here. He was just the uh, president of the Western States Red Angus Association. Um, he was very involved with the Washington Cattlemen's Association. And those things kind of just wrapped up for him. But he is very big in advocating for youth um, in this industry, in the livestock industry, as well as for the betterment of the livestock industry in general. That's something else Sammy left out as she's involved with um, uh, dealing with the wolves as well, like being a voice for cattlemen and in that as well. So very big advocates as well. They dedicate a lot of time, and we appreciate that because I do not um, – uh, have I wouldn't say I don't have the time for that. I don't have the patience for that like they do. So I commend them on that uh, as well. So let's get into 
one of the main reasons we're here. So this is something that we all think about a lot and we talk about a lot, but um, isn't something that you hear about a lot. Um, I know sometimes at Cattlemen's Conferences, they'll bring it up a little bit, but Sammy had posted this question on Facebook the other day, and I was like, this is perfect. Uh, this is something we should all talk about. And I think it's definitely a lot of gray areas here, and some people want to make it black and white. I don't think it is. The question is, is it more important to work on your business and in your business or in your business, excuse me. Um, obviously you should do both, but where should you as a business owner prioritize your time? Now, Sammy knows that I'm going to say she's like one of the worst offenders of this in terms of being a business owner and preferring and spending more time working in her business than on her business. In fact, she sent me a picture this morning of her paying bills like cram session so she could call me a liar on here and say, no, like I'm on top of it. Um, but she loves cowboying. So that's that's part of it. But before I take all of hers away, you get in and defend yourself and get in here, Sammy, and tell us kind of what you've experienced throughout the years, what you've seen has worked and where you think you are and maybe where you need to be to be even better at your time balance there. So first of all, I was listening to another podcast and I've been posting um, the last couple of days about just food for thought. And that was one of them. And I'd heard the comment before at a Washington Cattlemen's Association meeting, they had a ranching for profit mini class. And when that working in your business and on your business was first brought up, I was like, I don't, I don't understand what's the difference. And obviously he went on to explain and the, um, the working in the business is a lot more fun for me. It may not be for a lot of people in their businesses, but for me it is the taking, taking a horse and your dogs or, and going out and moving the cows and seeing the, the product of your, your decisions and your management decisions in full swing. That's, that's to me the more fun part, the, the going out and checking the cows and looking at things. But the things that have to be done are the, you know, the sitting, at the counter and paying bills like I was this morning or the, you know, 5 a.m. sitting at the computer trying to finish the bull sale catalog and writing footnotes at into the wee hours of the night. And the, the working on the business part is, is not near as much fun to me, but it's, it's something that probably um, would pay me more if I would spend more time at it. Um, I've, got a lot of different responses and a lot of people say well you need to be 50 50 or you need to be 70 30 and I think it kind of really depends on your business and what labor force you have to support you as far as the working in the business part so do that you're gonna have to help me Cody yeah no so I, th I think you're right. I think a big part of it is, is what type of business you have. You know, if I owned a big software engineering company, you know, chances are I'm probably not going to be working on the assembly line and also, you know, running management, you know, just like I also wouldn't be the accountant, you know, so there comes a point, depending on what your company looks like, that you can't work at all stages. That being said, I think that to totally remove yourself from the day-to-day -day operations on a livestock production just to work on your business can also be a really bad thing. Um, because what if, you know, what if your bulls go off feed and because you didn't go for 10 days and somebody else who maybe wasn't as experienced didn't notice, you know, or some, you know, something of that nature, I think it's good to be checking in or like, hey, you know, 
this is being happened. We're watering this and it's taking a lot of time and it's not working efficiently. By be, you being there and working in the business, you could say, oh, I've experienced this. This is how we can make the business better. So I think that becomes a case where you're doing both at the same time, in my opinion. And for me, a lot of it comes down to, you know, is your income and revenue supporting you to be able to working more on your business than in your business? You know, at my house, we're all the help. You know, it's like you get a feed, you get to be in charge of the vision, you get to be in charge of the picturing, you get to be in charge of calling customers, like you get to do it all um, because we literally can't afford and don't have enough help to do otherwise. So I think that labor is a factor. But what I do think about on the daily and I sit back and say, if I could work on and within my business, what would like the dream scenario look like? And for me, I would like to go to shows and help clients win to help continue to promote our brand and our sheep. I would also like to have time dedicated every day that I can spend on the phone, talking to clients, calling, scrolling through, which I know this seems like not work, but it's important, you know, scrolling through Facebook, looking for potential clients. You know, there's a lot of things that I'd like to do to grow the business in that sense that I don't have time because I have to be, you know, out feeding or helping Dr. Sheep or whatever it may be or hauling sheep. So I'm out on the road and don't get to do that, um, that I would like to do. And I don't know, Sammy and Pete, you can chime in on this. It's like, do you outline what your dream looks like in working in that operation and then grow or adapt, hire more help, whatever it needs to be so that you can do that. For example, I'm going to give an example here with your operation. If you say Sammy wanted to spend every day just ranching, out riding horses, ranching, fixing fence, ranching, you know, would it be beneficial for you to hire somebody even part-time maybe that's handling marketing, handling updating your website, uh, maybe even handling paying your bills, you know, doing all those things for you so that you can spend your time? Like, is that an option? You know, Cody, that's one of the things we do here is, is we do a lot of it ourselves. We're the plumbers, we're the electricians, we're the, uh, you guys, you know, feet clip the bulls, um, I do the bulk sale catalog. We, we do hire a few things when it comes to the purebred, but for the most part, for the day-to-day -day activities, you got to be a pretty real well-rounded person to work here. And we do have a couple of really great employees that take a lot of, a lot of load off and, and do some of the just day-to-day -day activities that need done. But we, we also do quite a bit of that ourselves. Um, I did hire somebody to, to put together a, uh, website for me this is the first year we've ever had a website it's ledgerwoodgelby.com uh, hired somebody to do that and that i think will pay us dividends i've got a few few new contacts off of just that and they did a did a great job we're a great company to work for that was the k-rose company um but uh, as far as hiring somebody to do all the record keeping and do the data entry for the registered cows it's pretty hard it's pretty hard to take take our barn notes and give them to somebody who's maybe computer savvy enough to sit there and knock them out in a half an hour and say, hey, figure out my chicken scratch. Because a lot of the times it's just that. It's exactly chicken scratch. and takes me time to sit down and interpret it and get all the, the DNA stuff put in and all the registered cattle put into the system. So, all right. I guess I my two cents on that, Cody, is I think working in the business comes 
easily and naturally to all of us, be it Sammy and I, be it for you and Sue or any of these people that, you know, have been on your podcast, Josh and Denise Maven Camp or Joe and Megan Hobbs. I think being in the business is natural. It's, it's the easy thing to do. I think working on your business, speaking from my perspective, and probably I could speak for Sammy, I think, it doesn't come as natural. Like it's, to me, sometimes it feels like a little bit of a chore. You know, it's easy to get up in the morning and go check cows and tag calves and move cows around. But it takes a little more thought into like, you know, I need to carve out some time today to promote our bull sale. I've got to take time to sit at the computer and, and make a Facebook post promoting something we're trying to sell. Like that requires a little more time and effort pre-planning. And that's, you know, and quite frankly, there's a lot of days we're out of the house fairly early and we come in, especially this time of year, we come in after dark and what free time we have, I don't always want to be spending on the business necessarily. There's some nights I want to come home. Like now I'm sitting here enjoying a, a nice cold, refreshing white cloth because, you know, I'm a man's man. And we drink white claws out here in Western Washington, Eastern Washington, I guess, excuse me. But, but so sometimes it takes a little more time and effort to work on your business. And I think that's somewhere that we, we could be better at. I think, you know, if I was going to be critical of the way we run our, our operation, I think the day to day is easy for us. I think working on the business somewhere where we definitely could, uh, we could definitely experience some growth. Right. Well, and I think too, you know, anybody who runs, I don't care if you have three acres and five cows or you've got 30,000 acres and like a million cows. Anybody who can tell you that has a piece of property in livestock, there's always something that needs to be done with the livestock, with the property. Like you never run out of projects. So for me, I agree. It's like it it's easy to get caught up in okay, I need to go fix that panel over there and uh you know that lamp probably needs drenched like it's not looking so hot. You know, and there's always something to do. So it's hard to switch your mind to say no. And so I know that some people so example Megan Hobbs like you were talking about, she like carves out because she knows once she gets going there at Cargill at her other job and dealing with other things, she knows she's not going to carve out the time. So every morning when she wakes up, you know, she sets aside an hour and she gets up early. Um, she also naps a lot in the afternoon for those of you when she tries to shame you about getting up early. <laughs> side note, she naps a lot. So um, anyway, but yeah, she sets a time early in the morning, says, I'm going to spend an hour to look and respond to Facebook messages, things of that nature, to do a Facebook post to work on the business. Because, yes, I agree. Naturally, you want to get up, you want to go outside, you want to check your animals. And the moment you've done that, you've already made the mistake because then you see a thousand things that need done and the races are off. And like you said, then it's 8 o'clock and all you want to do is drink your drink and go night-night. So I agree, Pete. I think that it's hard and maybe... If you're not a morning person, which Sammy and Pete know I am not a morning person, like that's not great for me. I'm more the type of person that if I'm going to set aside time every day, it'd probably be like lunchtime, you know, to take an actual lunch break, sit down, eat food, and then go through and 
do Facebook posts, do what I need to do. I actually do now before I get out of bed in the morning, I try to do a Facebook post every morning, but, and that's just a small part of the business. You know, as you know, there's, there's client calling bull customers, whatever it is, there's a lot. So maybe setting a time every day that you just do that religiously. Um, but then you travel, then you get off schedule. So it's hard. I think it's hard, but I agree, Pete. I think it's something that doesn't come naturally and we all have to make the conscious effort to work on the business. Well, I'm I'm just firmly convinced that Megan Hobbs does complete. No, and I'm oh, I'll so tell sure. you, she does. She's a, a machine. Don't get me wrong. Homegirl's a machine, but that woman naps a lot in the afternoon. That's how she tricks everybody. See, she gets up like before the sun rises, works hard. First person on Facebook posting, you're like, oh my God, Megan gets up so early. And then she's like working her ass off at Cargill. And then it's like three, four o'clock comes around, little nappy poo. And then she wakes back up again when all of us are done with dinner to like post on Facebook and be active and do all these things. So you're like, oh my God, she never sleeps. She did. She just tricked you, and she's going to be really pissed at me probably for talking about this, but I don't care. Well, I think that's one thing. You know, I I don't know a whole lot about the seed business. What little I know, I kind of gleaned from hanging out with you, Cody, and following some of the people that you've done business with. And that's the one thing I don't know why the sheep people excel at, in my opinion, is they're always on Facebook. There's always something, and it doesn't matter if it's, Allison Smith, or if it's Megan Hobbs, or it's the Hill Brothers, like you sheep people are like, have got social media figured out. I don't know what drives that more than cattle side of, you know, the livestock industry, but I just think the cattle people honestly don't hold a candle to like the social media and the way you guys advertise your product is, is pretty impressive to me that, you know, just about every sheep person that I'm follow on facebook is constantly on facebook posting pictures of lambs promoting something i i think that's something you guys excel at and i wish i had the time and energy i mean i get up plenty early but i am not being productive i'm sitting on the couch wishing the dog would give me two seconds of her time and like hang out with me while i drink my coffee but and i'd like to say i'm formulating a plan for the day but that's really not true it's usually just kind of random thoughts bouncing around <laughs> my head like the Sasquatch exists. Are the UFOs <laughs> going to touch down in my backyard and take me next? I know and, that's you know, exactly what's happening too. This isn't even a joke. That's actually what's going through Pete's brain. I mean, you, you should know of all people, we've traveled enough miles and had some fairly odd and random conversations. My mind's just, it's nothing like my wife. My wife is a very rational, very black and white, very sane person. I uh, I prefer life out in the weeds. And, you know, I come up with, I'm the idea guy. I usually run them past my wife. Sometimes they're good. Most of the time they're a little, a little too far out there for, but, you know, that's, you know, it is. We balance each other out. I think that's the good thing about Sammy and I is, we kind of complement each other and I think that's important. Like if we were two of the same people, it'd be pretty boring. What would we ever fight about? I mean, it'd be perfectly harmonious and really boring and well, who the hell wants that? Like, let's get weird. That's way more fun. Well, yeah, it's way more fun. And on top of that, I actually was just on another podcast I was recording today that's gonna come out next after yours with Steva. Uh you know, I think that having multiple personalities 
usually not in the same person, you know, for me, it sometimes works, but, (laughs) you know, but having within a couple or a group or a business, having multiple personalities is actually good uh, for a working on your business because, and I know this with you guys, you know, there's some of that stuff. So like when you guys go to a show, for example, having like cool signs, having things be flashy and exciting, you know, that's not something Sammy really cares about. She's like, while Pete's loading the trailer, yes. And upset while Pete's obsessing about that, you know, Sammy's like, off making sure like cows aren't dying you know so it it balances out and i think that different personalities work on businesses differently and i would totally i would agree with that which is good and i think it's good to have like i said differing personalities uh to work on the business in different areas because we all enjoy different parts of it so i 100 percent agree with that so on to my next question and i alluded to this like i said pete out west is a very big political figure in the cattle industry between huh. western states red angus but seriously you know you're i'm not going to say just a political figure but also an advocate you know you're a big sponsor of like our 509 show circuit and a lot of you know always sponsoring youth and ag always being a part of associations i tried that and i got really burnt on it and pete is like In a lot of ways, Pete is not patient. I know that from clipping bulls with him. But when it comes to people, Pete can be very patient. Sammy's like bullshit, you know, but no, really, he can be very patient. And so I commend you on that. But also, like I said, Sammy's involved with the Cattlemen's as well. I want to be as I know so many, me personally, and so many people get burnt out on associations like that because I don't have to tell anybody who's ever been involved a lot of the times it can get catty very small-minded very self-serving what do you guys think if you could give a speech both of you or either of you to people about why they should be involved in things that matter associations that matter what would that be well I guess Cody first thing that comes to my mind is I've kind of always had the mindset that if if I'm going to sit here and bitch about something and not be involved and be part of the you know the solution, well, I really don't have a leg to stand on. I I really shouldn't be bitching and moaning. So, you know, I I I firmly believe in advocacy. I firmly believe in giving back. I mean, there's you know, I have spent two years on the Washington Cattlemen Association board where probably do things a little differently here than uh, a lot of your listeners do, like perhaps in the, in the Midwest or down the Southwest or South, you know, we, we have lots of issues out here as far as public lands use uh, department of equality or ecology, excuse me, you know, water rights. Uh, We do have, you know, wolves out here is a big issue. I, uh, I was lucky enough in, 2019 to go on uh, a trip to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. They have a, a deal called YCC, which is the Young Cattlemen's Conference. It's 50 people nationwide are selected to go on this. So I got a, I was lucky enough to represent the state of Washington. Uh, met people from all over the U.S. and really, truly, some incredibly bright minds. Like some of the brightest people I've ever been around. It's just interesting when. I'm talking to a gal from Mississippi and she's like, you know, our biggest predator is a, a vulture. And I thought we've got cougars and wolves and bears and everybody's fascinated with that. And 
it's just interesting to see how we all do things differently. But it's, I just think it's important to give back. There's so many people that have supported us, you know, Sammy and I on our journey and be it, you know, through our breed associations, through the Red Angus, the Gelby Association, be it through our state cattlemen's association. I, I enjoy giving back. It's, it just, it's something I enjoy. It brings me happiness. I enjoy kids. I have a 17 year old daughter that has zero interest in livestock production or agriculture, which is fine. She's a great kid. She loves sports. That's her thing. So I kind of enjoy, I guess, taking some of these other kids that have asked us for help or guidance and kind of mentoring some of these younger producers and, and younger kids. You know, I think, you know, I think Sammy kind of took that approach with you a little bit. And I did notice that, you know, you finally got wise. And when you asked Sammy, should I buy a sheep? And she told you no. I think you finally said, you know, piss on it. I'm going to live my best life and I'm going to buy the damn sheep. And I did notice, you know, you kind of could come into Sammy because, well, you know, she's a little bit like maybe Denise Maven can't, maybe a little bit of a fun patrol and maybe a little more, you know, staying one and she's a little more financially stable than, you know, you or I. We kind of like the, you know, easy come, easy go with some of that money. So. I know I'm getting out in the weeds here, but <laughs> this is true. Yeah. I love that every time you speak, Pete, like you give me so much good content about what we were talking about, and then we land on an entirely different subject that I also <laughs> love. So that's good. This is true. So, side note before I get Sammy's take on being involved in associations, um, Sammy is a fiscally responsible person, which I very much appreciate and i will say i have been poor pretty much ever since my parents like after high school even then my parents still helped me but i like always been a person of grandeur and like big dreams so i'm like always overspending like still like today i'm sure i have overspent you know of what i should and so sammy has always tried to keep me on the straight and i'll be like what do you think about this and she's like that's a stupid idea and i'm like okay you know until finally i was like yeah but i really really want to so i'm just not going to tell sammy or ask her and then she's going to see it on facebook and then message <laughs> me about it and be like uh and now she is very kind because she gets that like i'm working hard and i'm not i'm only like 50% of the train wreck that I was probably like three years ago or two years ago. So she's a lot more cool about it. But um, yes, no, both Sammy and Pete. Pete's my yes man. Sammy's my no gal. And I go to like who I need when I, I know I need that advice. But um, that's entirely random. Sammy, before we go on to the next question, what are your thoughts? Because like I said, I you're involved with the Wolves. What, what's your take on the importance of being involved in associations and in groups and advocating? Uh, yeah, I'm, I sit on the Wolf Advisory Group for the state of Washington, which is a very unique group uh, of 18 members um, representing hunters, producers, environmentalists, and then there's a few at large positions as well. But we, uh, we only handle wolves, and it's a very controversial topic when you involve environmentalists hunters and producers so not only is that am i on the group because of the impact that wolves have on our 
operation, especially on our commercial operation. But I'm I'm on it to try to make that make that impact and try to minimize our losses and help other producers throughout the state. But it's also, I mean, it's been kind of an interesting group that's changed my mindset. And this is this is a, this is your out in the weeds for me, and I'm sure we don't get that way very often. But um, when you think about me trying to agree with an environmentalist or get an environmentalist to see my side when it comes to wolves. I've had to take a very um, much softer approach than I normally would take to to things to try to be in agreement with somebody who absolutely thinks wolves need to exist in Washington. So it's changed the way I can can debate an issue and try to try to keep my cool a little bit better about about certain issues. But um, I and I need to do that just like Pete said for you know can't can't complain about something if you're not willing to be part of the solution that's my way of being part of the solution i'm the representative now for the washington cattlemen's association which is their way of trying to get me more involved with them and uh, pete and my dad have been so involved that i've really drug my feet saying we can't all be really involved in one particular thing the other very controversial thing that i get to be involved in is the show committee for the gelby association and that has now i'm now the chair of that committee and it's definitely interesting when you start trying to debate things like where the national show needs to be and do we paint and should we not and different, different things like that. So um, I, I think it's very important to be involved. It's gained a lot of relationships. I think that's one of the things that we, we forget the, through being involved in organizations, the relationships that are gained and um, different ideas that come out of them, the different, ways like he was talking about all the all of his ycc friends the different ways that they do things across the nation but we also do that in the state different there's different management procedures that we can learn about just by having a broader set of contacts and just staying at home and plugging away and doing our own thing so I, being involved in organizations in my mind somewhat helps with working on the business so Right. There's your take back. Oh, circle back. I like that. Way to <laughs> tie it all together in a nice bow. Well, I that's one thing Sammy touched on that I guess I didn't even think about is to mention is uh, is relationships. And I know that's, you know, that's a big deal and especially I noticed in your kind of journey in the, in this sheet deal you and I have talked about, you know, relationships and finding, you know, the people you vibe with. And those are the people you want to do business with. I don't know how many times you and I have gone down the road, Cody. I've I've made this comment probably a million times to you, you know, that I'll drive a thousand miles to do business with someone I like, but I won't drive across the road to do business with an asshole. And I think you've drank the Kool-Aid because I don't know how many trips you have made to Newton, Kansas or Nebraska or Iowa, like, I didn't really expect you to take it to heart quite like that. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I should be buying you tires, or maybe you should be doing an ad for a tire company as much as you burn up the road and tearing up, wearing up tires, going up and down the road, you know, buying sheep, looking at sheep, trading sheep, hauling sheep for people. I mean, you know, that's what this business is all about. You know, once again, we're kind of wandering, kind of a weird path here, but, you know, it's all about relationships. I, I think livestock really, in my mind, is secondary. It's just a byproduct of, of the relationships we get to 
we get to make with people because, you know, I'm fond of saying God put us on this earth for a good time, not a long time. And part of that is I've met some really great people through the livestock industry. I mean, there's be it people, you know, we've got our friends, Joe and Aaron, who you had on your podcast up in Canada and, you know, our friends, Justin and Rachel in Colorado. I mean, we've met so many good people through this, through this livestock industry. And that's, really one of the nice things about when you become involved with an association and an organization is you meet really good people. You meet like-minded people, which I enjoy. And there's just a lot of really bright, smart people in this industry. And it's what, you know, keeps us kind of going forward is sometimes I get, you know, dragging ass a little bit. and I realize, well, you know, Cody's just driven 55,000 miles to go to Newton, Kansas and pick up sheep and up to Colorado to pick up recips and the 80 million spots in between dropping off sheep. So, you know, it kind of makes me realize that, you know, maybe my day is not quite as busy or as full or as hard as I thought. So, you know, I just, uh, I know you're big on that. I think that's kind of one of the reasons you and I get along so well is I think we both realize and value good people and good relationships and it's all about finding people that make you feel like family i know that's something that you know megan and joe have done for you is like you feel like you're part of the hobbs family and that's what keeps you coming back and supporting the hobbs like there's just so many good people out there that you know we need to be supporting each other that's you know not tearing each other down we all do things differently Sometimes we let the negative creep into our everyday life, but, you know, in reality, this is an industry like none other. And, you know, like it or not, we're becoming fewer and fewer because who wants to get up at 2 a.m., stick an arm into you and feel 80,000 legs in there and have to separate that mess? You know, you want to be asleep, or I don't particularly want to feed cows when there's a foot of snow on the ground, but I think that's why it's important to support each other because. There's becoming less and less of us. This isn't, you know, you look at young people, they're not coming back to the family farm. They want to go work in an office. They want to work Monday through Friday, eight to five, make a good living. Bless them for that. It's all about, you know, choices in life. But, you know, if we're, if we're not supporting each other, what are we doing? Here you thought he wasn't going to be insightful. I know. I was like, amen, brother. Yes, child. Take me to church. You know, I agree. And, you know, and that is the beautiful part about associations. And I think that I'm really bitter towards associations because I got involved so young. And I got into some leadership positions really young. And because of that, um, nobody took me seriously just strictly because of my age. And I was inexperienced, you know, obviously. And half the time I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. But I, what was there was my passion, you know, to help and to make things better. And I think that I just got shit on time and time again by people who didn't take me seriously that it, it really ruined me for that. And so that's why I wanted to touch on that in this episode. But what I will say to Pete's credit is, you know, we've started getting into the Red Angus as well, us and our business partners, the Moons. And I will tell you, we did not get into the Red Angus strictly because I just think they're the best breed in the world. Unless you want to buy a Red Angus, in which case I think they're the best breed in the world. But just in general, I love good cattle. I came from a Charlet background, like, you know, 
I'll show reds. I'll show. I've showed a black. I showed black Angus. I've showed semis. I don't care. I just love good cattle. But what drew me to it was the Western States Red Angus Association puts on an event called Bet on Red. Um, it's a show. It's a sale down in Reno. And that is something that I started just going down with Pete and Sammy, and I'd go down to work and help them. And um, then I started taking car, uh, some cattle for Carl Lautenschlager out of Washington, and now we've got our own reds that we'll be able to take back there. But it was the people. I love the cattle. I do think they're nice cattle, and I like the Red Angus breed a lot, but it was not the Red Angus breed that sold me on it. It was the people and that association. And that association, while, of course, they still have their little squabbles, you know, like any association, was really one centered around making the breed better, making the Western states breeders better. Um, so I agree. I think at the end of the day, and I've talked about this in almost every episode in one form or another, it's not about the livestock. You know, livestock come and go. We can always make better livestock. We can buy more, sell more, buy less, sell less, whatever. It's about the people at the end of the day, and that's what associations are about. So I am vowing on this that I am going to try and get evolved, involved in one association because I know that's baby steps for me to try to make the world a little bit better place. So that's my commitment on this. So I'm going to shift gears here. I want to talk about when you first started, um, and especially in Ledgerwood Gelvy, because I think this is something that speaks to a lot of people that come from either a family uh, farm or a big commercial operation, or maybe even an operation that is purebred, but, you know, a child comes up and wants to do their own thing. What, when you were looking at investing, giving your unique resources, Sammy, what were some choices that you made? And obviously, I know things have evolved a lot, you know, since obviously when you first started this. When you started making investments, both your time, equipment, cattle, what was kind of your mind process and how have things changed over the years? So my parents bought us our first cow when I was nine years old. So I didn't have, let's I, to be honest, I had zero choice in that um, purchase. I had zero po- choice in the fact that it was a Gelby pair. Like they didn't come to us and say, hey, we're going to buy you guys a pair. What breed do you want? We were at a sale. My dad bought this pair, and that's what kind of started in the Gelby business. The reason we ended up raising as many Gelby as we did, especially early on, is because Gelby cattle are not very prevalent in the state of Washington or Oregon or Idaho. And for the ranch to be able to run Gelby bulls, my dad thought the easiest way was to raise them. So he may have pushed a little bit in that direction and again like I said we didn't have a lot of my sisters and I didn't have a lot of choices in the beginning as far as what cows we bought or what um, bulls we used or anything like that but my dad had a fairly good eye for cattle and bought us some fair pointed us in the direction he did not buy them for us we bought them through our our show steer money um and that's how we how we built that herd. Or he would buy a bull from us, and and we'd have money to purchase another that way. So, pointing us in the right direction there with some with several cows, and um, basically, I my cows started to grow, herd started to grow because of that. But our 
my labor force is what allowed me to be able to continue to grow that herd. The me working on the family ranch is what, you know, let my dad think it was okay that he, he fed as many cows as he did. And as I started to grow, we started to rent more pasture and the cows, purebred cows, I'll, I'll leave the ranch for the summer months and come back in the, in the fall and winter and calve here and then they leave again. So it's kind of, we use the family ranch for that, but um, Pete and I both work on the family ranch here on a daily basis. And it has since evolved to my dad is now the owner of the ranch and it's not partnered with his brothers where we got a lot of criticism from, from his brothers, my uncles and, and my grandpa for the number of cows that I had. But um, the reason I went to Washington State University was because it was an hour from home and I came home every weekend and put in the time and effort to be able to keep those cows and maintain my herd. And, um, my one stipulation when I came back to the ranch was I want to go show them. I hadn't had that opportunity to show them on a regional or national level up to that point. And that was the one thing I said when I came home from school was I'm going to, I'm going to go show them. And we've done that. We've, well, as you alluded to, we've had a fair bit of success showing and we've got our purebred product out there especially in the more the more recent years as Pete has gone with me and we've shown in Denver we've we sell at least one of our shows in, in Denver every year and we've sold to some purebred herds and um, have found found some success that way we I pride myself in having a little bit of a different Gelby cow than a lot of people would necessarily be used to especially your Midwest listeners um I've taken the front end off of them because my commercial customers don't like it. I can't sell them if they're super sloppy fronted or have a super super sloppy navel. So I, um, my time traveler bull changed that whole look for me and um, was a real big stepping stone for us and, and making the cow herd that we have today. So. I agree. And I can shamelessly plug to that as well. I think that, you've created a, a type of cattle that are still true to the characteristics that make the Gelvy breed what they are. You know, your cattle are stout boned. They are rugged. They are extremely hardy. Um, for those of you guys who don't know Washington very well, which is probably like 90% of you, um, you know, geographically, we or, or I guess I don't even not even geographically, but like terrain wise, we change a lot depending if you're on the west side, you're getting like a hundred inches of rain a year. It's basically like a rainforest swamp over there. Okay. You you hop over the mountain, you get into high desert, and then you get to the rolling hills, the foothills as you get farther east. Well, in that kind of transition space as you go down south towards Oregon is where their ranch is, and a lot of that um, you know, big canyons. When I say can not the Grand Canyon, but bigger than any of you flatlanders out in the Midwest would think a canyon is. Like, you cannot drive a four-wheeler or side-by-side up it. Sandy has taken me, which is frightening, um, but really it's more of like a horse-dog-walk situation, okay? So these cattle have to be rugged, but they're rugged, they're beautiful, and so I think that a big part of your development and your success, I would say, is making a unique type of cattle that hold true to the Gelvy ways while still fitting a mainstream look of being, you know, clean enough fronted, 
that's that's my big shameless plug on that as well. And my other shameless plug, and Jara, who is a friend of mine, she's very like girl power. She's an attorney and a boss ass lady. Uh, better listen to this episode. And Sammy, I can tell you, growing up is the reason why. Like Sammy is the like women's right movement, which is funny for me to say because like she's like not at all a feminist and just a badass, you know. But Sammy like showed me like what hard work is, and that's not like a gender thing, okay? I don't want to don't give me any hate mail about that, people. But like, if you want something, and that's what Sammy has always like drilled into me is like, if you want something, you work your ass off for it. There's no shortcut. There's no easy money get out. You just work your ass off. And um, that is what Sammy has done. And I would say the biggest investment that Sammy has made is not just financially, not just buying cows to put on the family operation. It's that Sammy works seven days a week, like all the time on this. And so that's my input on that little bit of a situation there. I appreciate that, Cody. But one of the things that I've thought about here lately is uh, if you if you want me to do something, just tell me I can't do it. Because it's probably going to happen. I'll prove you wrong. Oh, yeah. No. Let's get one thing straight. Sammy, she's got an attitude on, on the girl. I will tell you. I Sammy once called me, and I'm going to tell this story because it still to this day floors me. And I am so traumatized about it because I am not a morning person, like I said. But one day, Sammy calls me at like 6.30. Let's be honest. It was like 7, 7.30, okay? But I like had just woken up and started feeding, okay? Just chewing my ass because she had asked me to haul something or something of that nature and then thought that I was hauling because of some posts on Facebook just chewing my ass about it. And it's like she's that type of person. You tell her something can't happen and it's going to happen. And by God, she is going to prove you wrong. And so I agree. I mean, Sammy, I bet you can't write me a check for $10,000 because you're too poor. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to throw that out there. Uh, that's not going to happen. But anyway, so yes, no, that that's my plug on you. And like I said, for all of you guys that are like getting so annoyed about how much kumbayaing we're doing on this, um, I don't care. We've been friends for so long and we need that. So y'all just butt out and let us have our moment. Um, next question. And this one I would imagine is going to be interesting from Pete. But what advice, if you could look back at 16-year-old version of yourself, of Pete and Sammy individually here, what advice would you give to yourself going forward? And it can be life advice, livestock advice, career advice, whatever speaks to you the most. I'm going first because mine's not near as interesting as Pete's going to be because I've thought about this. And my advice to myself was forget ever trying to go to vet school like I did. And thank goodness I did not get into vet school because that would have totally changed my life. And I'm ever grateful that it did not happen. So, But that was my entire goal from probably my freshman year on was to be a vet. And I am grateful for every vet out there. And I'm talking about veterinarian, not not military vet, but um, grateful for every one of them. But I don't want their job. So, hold on, I'm a military vet. You're not grateful for me? Seriously. We're going to squabble now on your podcast. This will be a first. I don't yeah, think my first marital fight. I think it was just yeah. a point of clarification. Okay, so as usual. <laughs> he was right. 
But I, you know, I guess if I could tell my 16-year-old self, I mean, I, I tried to think about it today. and You know, I tried to think, you know, would I have been deep and, and introspective and, you know, the fact that I'm a functioning adult some days is a miracle. So maybe, you know, I guess I just tell myself, don't give up on your dreams because you, you don't know when it's going to happen. Like, I'll be honest, I never, you know, I've always enjoyed the livestock industry. I never in a million years thought I would be making a full-time living from it. And I, I took a really long and winding path to get here. But just don't give up. Like, sometimes life doesn't play out the way you, you think it should. I think, you know, it's pretty easy when we're young to, you know, have a plan in mind. You know, this is this is the career path I'm going to take, and this is how I get there. And don't be discouraged when that it, – it's, it's not a straight road. And Cody, you can probably attest to this just as well as anybody I know. Like, there's going to be lots of curves. You know, it's just a winding road. And it doesn't matter how you get there, I guess. It's the fact that you've got there and you've, you've persevered and you've triumphed. And in your case, you know, you're, you're living your best life. You're proving your, your haters wrong every day. You're, you're trying like hell to prove to people that you can sell high quality show lambs in a part of the world that's not known for it. So, you know, I perseverance, I'm, I'm a big believer in perseverance. And I also believe, you know, don't get so uh, busy making a living that you forget to make a life like, I was thinking about that the other day. Some people take it, and I've talked to some of these good old boys. It's, it's almost like a sense of pride that, well, I haven't taken a vacation since 1969. I'm like, well, that's no way to live your life. Like, this job comes with so many unique stresses and problems. Like, you know, you're trying to make a land payment. You're trying to figure out how to scrape enough money together to buy a you know use that somebody's got for sale that you really like and you know your transmission's going out on your pickup i mean there's just so many things that this industry throws at you on a daily basis that you don't take time for yourself i mean you're just going to go bonkers and you know i guess get a little bit out in the weeds once again like mental health is important in this industry like there's so many people that don't want to talk about like all the stresses that come on with this with this lifestyle and like the mental toll it takes on you and I just feel like I need time away there's things that you know I need a break from the ranch I need a break from my wife Sammy and I work together every day and let me tell you that comes with its own set of challenges because there's some days we come home and we look at each other and it's like well who's going to strangle who because we sorted cows and I was an asshole and I threw a paddle and had a two-year-old fit because, well, that's just the way I am. So I think it's important to take time for ourselves. You know, I, that's why when your friend calls and says, what are you doing? And you tell them no. And then all of a sudden, well, hell, I'm in Nebraska and we're buying a, a stock trailer. And now I'm hanging out in Newton, Kansas, meeting some really nice people and, then I'm up in Colorado picking up recent views and doing all this in about three days. But you know what? That's a memory that I'll always take with me. And that's, it's just good to get away. Take care of yourself, people. I mean, I've 
had somebody tell me the other day all farming or ranching is is it's selective negligence. You take care of what needs to be taken care of today, the rest will be there tomorrow. So don't be ashamed to take some time for yourself and you know I I always tell people I, I work for a living. I don't live to work. So, you know, that's my my kind of cheesy, shameless plug, you know, let's, let's take care of ourselves and take care of each other. And, you know, life's too short. You know, God put us on this earth for a good time, not a long time. Amen. And if you have not met Sammy and Pete, there's like a perfect analysis of what it's like meeting them. Sammy's like, give up on your dreams. Don't go to vet school. <laughs> and Pete's like, hope, inspiration, love, inspiring, all of these things. That's pretty much what it's like to meet them, except for not really. They're actually, they're both badasses. So um, I agree. If I can re- hey, wait, if I could retell Cody, 16-year-old Cody something. Oh, God. Pretty sure that's about the time I met you. Yeah, probably about. Yeah, I, uh, you. I was actually like middle school. You probably met me when I was like fourteen. Okay, so fourteen-year-old Cody, it would probably be to ditch the old sock steer that can't walk and try to find another one because that one's never going to eat. I don't know what I told you that day, but um, probably sure something really along positive. those lines. Yeah, I'm sure it was oh, something no. like that. I'm a pretty positive judge, Cody. She Come is. I will say that. Don't be her friend, because if you're her friend, she'll text you and be like, hey, dumbass, like, why is this happening? Like, what's going on? But she meets somebody in the street, and she's like, God bless, you know? But no, it, uh, oh, God, my first time showing. Okay, for those of you who don't know, like, I come from a very, my grandfather does own, like, a piece of property, but, at, like, we're not very close with him, so I didn't really, wasn't around the cows, yada, yada, yada. So I, I'm a townie. Okay, I grew up in town. Um, I got my first steer, and I really wanted to show. And then we had got my second steer, which would have been my county fair one. And we do this preview show, and Sammy was judging the preview show. And, you know, nobody told me anything. I walk in there. You know, you walk in with your animal. You're leading them, whatever. You know, and then you stop, and you turn around, and you start scratching and setting up your animal. Um, or once you, like, or not a Freddy 4-H, or you, like, are already walking backwards, you know, setting your animal. Um, I just, like, walk in, facing the judge, don't turn around, stick still in my hand, looking like, like, now what do I do? You know, and Sammy was very and your, your steer had the most shag on his legs, like, three to four inches, and you had that stuff pulled straight out, not flipped out. It was beautiful. Oh, God. If, it, if somebody could take a, like, picture... For the 4-H, like for Freddie 4-H or to put in the dictionary, you could have snapped a picture on that day, and I, that would have been me. So I, I own that. And, and you know what, though, that just attests to what good friends they are and what good friend Sammy is to me because we have remained friends all these years, and that's, that's where we started, folks, so yikes but i agree with what pete said you know what something that you said pete that i think is so important and you just really touched on it in detail but is you know our mental health this is hard and this is not a nine to five this is not even a monday through friday this is a seven day a week job living organisms are relying on you for life and sustenance and like you said, Rod McIntosh, who was a big influence on me growing up, he had he had Angus cattle, and he always would say, same thing, you know, farming and ranching is nothing more than managed neglect. And it's true, because there's always something to be done, like I said, whether you have three acres or 
30,000 acres, there is always something to be done. It's important whether that means just cutting out loose, feeding early. You know what? Your animals will not die if you decide to feed at like 2.33 in the afternoon and then run into town and just have a dinner with your family away from the ranch, away from everything. I promise you the animals will not die. It's like sometimes we need to take those mental health moments for ourselves. So I love that. Before we conclude here, though, is there any other shameless plugs we need to get out there? I know it's kind of a weird season because we finish up bull sale season, but, like, is there anything we need to get out there in the universe? I, I'm just going to give, I mean, my quick plug for our, us is, you know, we have our annual production sale. It's always the second Saturday in March. Uh, we usually offer 45 to 50 uh, gelby and red angus bulls. But, I mean, the big plug I want to give is, is to you, Cody. I mean, I think this podcast is is fantastic. I mean, when you first discussed this with me, we are probably sitting in a hotel room drinking, you know, cold beer and discussing how shitty our day was and what an asshole that bull was and this is really the dumbest way to make a, an extra dollar by clipping, you know, a thousand bulls this winter, but you kind of brought up the fact that you're doing this. And I think this is great. I, I appreciate the fact that you're not afraid to put yourself out there. You're not afraid of failure, which I think is something, you know, a lot of young producers worry about. Like you can't, you're going to fail. Let's be honest. At some point we're all going to fall on our face. But don't be afraid to try it. You've never been afraid to walk your own path. You're, you know, trying to sell high-quality show lambs in a part of the world that, you know, quite frankly, isn't known for that. But you've pretty much given everybody, you know, the middle finger and said, you know, why not me? So I'm, Amen. you know, I'm a shameless plug for Cody Lacey and Gold Standard because I tell you what, if you're not friends with Cody and you haven't spent a night going down the rabbit hole with Cody, which could be a whole nother podcast, you're missing out on life. You know, there's, you know, there's just not many just genuine, honest, good people. And that's one thing that, you know, you've always been, Cody. You're very genuine. You're honest. And quite frankly, you don't give two sports of duck shit what people think. You're going to do it your way. Damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. So, you know. My plug is if you need a high-quality show lamb out here in the Northwest and you're not buying one from Gold Standard, well, I guess I'm going to come hit you in the head with a tack hammer and tell you <laughs> you're eating card. There you go. I didn't even have to pay for that either, folks. This is how that good of a free, friend folks. he is. That was free. All of that was free. Oh, well, I appreciate Must it. Must have been a good white call. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That was, you know, I wish I was as family as like, you know, you or Josh Mavencamp and I was sitting here, you know, sipping a good scotch or bourbon and, you know, talking to you in my deep bass, you know, Josh Mavencamp voice. But, you know, I'm nasally and I enjoy a white claw. So, you know, no laws without claws or with the claws. I yeah. Yeah. No, you're like my favorite middle-aged woman that I know, honestly. It's like no shame, in, no shame in Pete's game. He loves being basic. He loves White Claws. And, and that's why we get along. That's why me, Sammy, and Pete get along is because we work hard. We love what we do. And we could give a shit what anybody thinks. Preach. <laughs> there we are. So anyway, well, 
I thank you guys for their time, for your time. Um, yes, if you guys like Gelby Bulls, like Balancer Bulls, like Red Angus Bulls, um, March is a good time. Definitely call them if you can't get out here, but you need to get out here because it's a good time. We'll grill out. Uh, they're right on the ranch. Um, get out here. So thank you guys, and we will see you all uh, down the road whenever we get to have shows again in the West. Um which we won't get into any of that either because we ain't got time, but um, we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks for your time, Cody. We appreciate you. Well, we got out into the weeds and I'm not sure there's not much we didn't talk about, but there's a perfect example going all the way back to episode one with Allison Smith of finding people that you bop with people you vibe with. Um, I'm serious. And I know there was a lot of kumbaya in that episode, but I I can honestly say that Pete and Sammy are a big part of who I am today, why I am where I am today. Find people that just truly believe in you, people that value you. Even back in the day when I was young and dumb, Sammy thought I was a dumbass, but she saw value and potential in me. And that means a lot to me. And there's been a lot of hard circumstances in my life and things that I have gone through that I have leaned on Sammy and asked for her advice. And sometimes it's just love and sometimes it's tough love because that's what I needed. But find those people that are going to relentlessly pursue your success like you are and cling on to them for dear life. I hope all of you guys have that. If you don't look for that, reach out to me. If we vibe, I will be that for you. I will see you on the next episode. Mama said I'd end up train their trash If I stayed the road I was on Throne star beer and take hookers tunes Sure have kept me keeping on Perfect.